you need to move beyond thinking about EI as just a skill and think of about it as a leadership style and philosophy. And when you do that, then you as a leader will begin to employ from the top down the people you hire, the culture that you create. Culture is a byproduct of leadership. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 057 of the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. It is so great to have you here. Now, I um, I have a confession to make. I uh, had a book that was sent to me, and I did not get a chance to read it. And I knew that was going to be the case, so I got on the line with our guest today. And I told him straight up front, I said, hey, look, we can either uh, reschedule uh, because I don't want to waste your time if we want to talk about your book. However, your space is one that I have great knowledge in. I did give it a once over um, without going too in depth. Um, so I'm open to speaking about it. It's your call. We can reschedule or we can go through with the interview. And our guest today, he said, well, let's just go on with the interview. It ended up, in my opinion, being amazing conversation. And we talked about some stuff that afterwards, uh, he just said it was such a pleasure because we tapped into some things that he otherwise doesn't get a chance to talk about. And uh, I just found that super exciting. And uh, I don't want to waste too much time getting into this, but I will tell you, that the content here is pretty rich, uh, but it's also deep in the context that it has to do with with more business than it does anything else. So if you want to learn some incredible business savvy and uh, some acumen, oh my gosh, this guy is a powerhouse. He has helped grow Medtronic Surgical Technologies. Uh, his division went from uh, $100 million to approximately $2 billion in, in annual revenues uh, over the time that he was in leadership there. And so with over like 30 years of experience and an incredible track record, uh, he brings a ton of wisdom into this conversation around innovation. We talk about everything from the sharing economy, its impact, to giving case studies on some of the businesses that are doing customer service well and doing customer service poorly. Uh, it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce to you the Senior Director of Research and Development from Medtronic. Today, we are talking to Dana Oliver, and we're going to jump into that interview right now. You're listening to the Up In Your Business podcast. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. I am here with Dana Oliver. Dana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Angus. Thank you for having me on your show, and I want to say it's a pleasure and an honor to be part of Up In Your Business. All right on. Well, we're going to get up in your business. <laughs> so, Dana, what is the uh, coolest place that you have visited in the last six months? Boy, I tell you, I, I mean, I live in Florida, 
and um, which, you know, I'm, I'm a New England boy, you know, from Boston, like it a great deal. But most recently, my wife and I have been visiting um, Amelia Island, mm. which even though it's part of Florida and it's a northern aspect of Florida, it has this like kind of island flavor and feel. Very nice. It's a relatively small community, 16,000 people or something. You can only get there by venturing over bridges. And it really has a lot of beautiful restaurants, a wonderful harbor, a lot of things to, to do over there. So that's uh, I'm very much falling in love with it. Oh, it sounds glorious. My wife and I, we spent a year traveling, and every month oh. uh, we would stay in a different uh, city, staying at Airbnbs and VRBOs. And uh, three of the stays we did in Florida. Oh, so no kidding. we were in Panama City Beach, we were yeah. in Clearwater, yeah. and then um, Delray Beach. Um, so yeah, we love Florida. Yeah. All right, that's kind of a cool place to visit in and of itself. So I want to talk to you about innovation as a whole. Um, your background you know, obviously has lots of insight on what you've done with your company and, and your service. And I want to kind of take a broader approach of what innovation looks like for you in the future. Where is it that you see most companies drop the ball in innovation? Yeah, yeah you know what? I think the first question, if you want to be successful, is you need to figure out who you want to be and who your customer is. You know, so example, if you talk about innovation, I think there's three potential schools. One is you have to be either customer-focused. Two, you have to either be technology-focused. Or three, it's a little what I would call haphazard. It's that invention that happens and. You know, if you think of the protective vests mm-hmm. that the police department, Kevlar, yeah, excuse yeah. me, you know, that was that was an accident, you know, from uh, when companies were trying to increase more efficient tires. So those are the three kind of technologies. Now, in business, you can also do a portfolio and just try to acquire a lot of things and make a portfolio out of it. For me, I'm all about customer focus, and, you know, I'd love to talk more about that. Sure, we can dive into that. Um, but before we do, like, I, what you just said is acquisition. So... That seems like a real 80s throwback technique, right? Is, is what do we do? We, we find something we like, we buy it. So we take yep. the, the speed and the uh, creativity of a small startup, and then we bring it into the bureaucracy and yep. slow growth of a big company. Yeah. I've always observed that sometimes people in those smaller companies lose their identity, and then they lose their momentum. Versus, it seems to me, some of the wiser companies, even if they do acquire, they kind of take like a a hands-off approach. Yeah. I think that's a great perspective, Angus. And let me tell you, I mean, for me, and, you know, we haven't talked a lot about uh, my successes, but I helped grow uh, Medtronic surgical technologies from 100 million to approximately 2 billion. And I can say that with exactly that approach. And with that, I have four foundational principles. But the first one that I have is that I fully believe that you invest 10% of your company's revenues as a percentage back into organic research and development. I wish more companies would do that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So here's another concept, too. So from the customer perspective, we see a lot of companies in this concept of the sharing economy. It's obviously creating some disruption. Big brands are concerned about people renting out their houses, like Airbnb. Or, you know, the taxi companies are getting disrupted by Uber and Lyft, et cetera. And now even, you know, some of the restaurants are now contending with food trucks, which is a whole different scope. Um, And all of these are breaking rules and regulations or causing them to be corrected. How do you see that one of the power of the people 
And then number two is the power of social media connecting with customers, their voice, and their power. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's really interesting. And and I'll go back. You said it earlier. We talked, just ever briefly touched on acquisition. And if you go back to Jack Welch, you know, a lot of people could argue maybe one of the greatest CEOs of all time, just if you look just financially. Um, But it, but at that time, it was like you needed to be you know, either buy and be number one or number two, or you discard it or fix it. Uh, I think after that, though, what really happened to take place is you were starting to see the fledglingness of social media um, in, in, in the Internet. And what I mean by that is if you think about places like Starbucks or Victoria's Secrets, they didn't go after to be big and bold, but they created an experience. And if you look at Starbucks in particular, they said, you know what? Look, we're going to sell coffee, and, and albeit we're going to sell you five, $5 or $7 coffee. <laughs> and you're going to buy but, it. <laughs> but they created an ecosystem. Yeah. And the ecosystem was come, relax, bring a friend, bring your computer, bring your phone. We're going to chill out, have a coffee. And so yeah. that's a great example of kind of you know the ecosystem around and, what, and how social media has changed things. You, you mentioned Uber. Oh, my Lord. Talk about who in their world would think about you had taxis. You had to have this incredible infrastructure with all these um, automobiles, and you'd have to have dispatchers, and you'd hire licensed people. All of a sudden, now social media, my God, you just pick up your cell phone, and some guy in his own personal car comes because you know the Internet is now so well-connected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a great deal of disruption. And I think for me, it's these massive institutions that were, you know, were at one point in time considered to be impossible to bridge the gap because of capital. If you look at the airline industries, if you look at NASA, mm-hmm. I mean, but boy, these, this is what we're seeing now change. It's, it's a phenomenal time in our lives. Mm. And what about like, okay, so, so you take a look at the assets, of an Airbnb or an Uber. Yeah. You kind of alluded to that. Like they don't own one of the places that you're going to stay or one of the cars you're going right. to get a, a ride in. Um, they don't have to pay, you know, a lot of the uh, personal liabilities for uh, insurance, uh, right. benefits, retirement. Like they don't cover any of that. So they've reduced expenses of what it costs to run a business. Like right. I don't know how many X fold, but tons. And yet their valuations are in the multi-multi-billions to the point that Airbnb is, I think, more valuable than the biggest hotel chain in the world. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's where I have a problem because, example, if you go back to the dot-com, you know, so this is when a time when people, very similar, right? They, didn't, they owned zero assets, but you had software companies, and all they had was an app. Or, or some type of software application that you could load onto someone's computer. And what happened was these evalu- the valuations ran away. Mm. And then all of a sudden the bubble burst. So I, I, I do think there has to be some concern. You know? So if you're, if you're one of these places that don't have all those capital assets, well, then it means to me at some level you're pretty vulnerable to a company because the barrier to entry is very small. Mm-hmm. And you know, to your point, I mean – just this week, uh, we're recording this uh, August 19th, for those of you who are listening. Just this last week, we've had reports from Ruby Tuesdays is closing a number of their stores, a considerable yeah. amount. Uh, Macy's is closing a number of their stores. Um, and yeah. then there's another major chain, too. I, uh, I can't think off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. All indicators. Even though yes. we have, you know, the talking heads are saying our economy is great. We're doing awesome. Right. Uh, mind you, the numbers speak. 
And right. we are into another reset. So they say, what, every eight years, we kind of go through a little course correction. And right. 2008, 2009, we're, we're creeping up on it. Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting perspective. And, we're, and I would argue we're in some uncharted territories. I mean, so even though if you look, you know, in, in, in America right now, the unemployment is below 5% or something, the recovery has been so slow. Um, since 2007 and 2008, that people don't feel like the economy is good. They don't feel great wealth. Um, there's, there's a level of dejection and depression. And as you know, the economy is predicated on 70% confidence. Mm-hmm. And if people don't feel that there's confidence, then my God, we're going to be in a real problem. And that's where I think politicians in general, they don't do a particularly good job when they're working on the economy. Oh, and let's not get into politics right now. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, not my my goal. So, okay, so I'm working on a book uh, called Empowering Work. And the premise of the book is taking a look at the fact that the on-demand elements of the economy, uh, like what we just shared, um, but in addition, the fact that now employment can be more of a contract labor force. We're looking at the rise of Upwork. We're looking at the rise of... um, you know, Adobe and Behance, you know, they're accessing that. Now LinkedIn has started a whole nother um, on-demand jobs uh, part, which most people don't even know about. It's kind of flying below the radar. Right. Everybody's looking at this, and my book is, is kind of predicated off the data that's showing that more and more companies are getting rid of full-time employees, again, getting rid of all the benefits, retirement, et cetera, yeah. and focusing more on contract labor. Now yeah. you can access a labor force that's global, and on demand so that you can ebb and flow and flex and grow or shrink when necessary. And you can do it according to, you know, monthly outcomes. Right. What do you see in your industry, you know, coming yeah. from healthcare and, and, and pharmaceutical? Like, what does that look like for yeah. you guys? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, and I would argue, and, and this is going to be it's I have an expression. I'm a big guy. I believe in mantras. And one of the mantras is, you know, on the bus early, off the bus early. And what I mean by that is if you're a company and you don't have to have dedicated employees and you don't have to give them pensions and benefits, I'll tell you what, when, when, when a business or a franchise is growing and people are making some money, boy, they're going to be on the bus. The problem is going to be if that business starts to falter in any capacity or there's another startup that's more attractive, well, then you as a company, you're going to lose good people very quickly. So to me, I've, I've always, you know, even though I, be, I believe that you invest in people, I believe you take an interest in their careers, I'm very big on emotional intelligence and for the reason that you can increase your, your business's productivity by as much as 30%. If you employ exceptional people, you take an interest in them, you give them a clear strategic direction, you invest in them, and you make them part of your strategic plan. Now, all of those things don't happen really when you're virtual. Mm-hmm. So, but yet there is a point in time when you ha- there comes time and scale and size. Example, if you look at Apple. Apple, you know, it would be impossible for them to hire all these people in, in America, for instance, when you look at the, just the sheer number of people that need to make their iPhones, that which they come out, you know, every 12 months. Mm-hmm. So they go over and they use contract uh, labor uh, over in the Asias. Uh, and, and I think, I, to me, it, there's gonna, always going to be more than one model. And, and I think you can't underestimate the importance of people because mm-hmm. people, business is about people. 
Um, by the way, uh, you don't know this, but the book um, actually goes into all of that because I said, uh, in, I've said, I said it in my writing, I said, I haven't even released the book yet. Now I'm stating it as like past tense. So <laughs> the whole premise on the front end of the book is all talking about this business, you know, threats and opportunities. What does that look like from leadership from brands? Yeah. And what does it look like for, you know, the customer, the, or excuse me, the contractor? So a contractor now is its own free agent. They're taking care of, you know, their own company and brand. They've got to right. manage their own reputation. They've got to manage their own network, you know, yeah. and, and who they have connection with. So that is its own business. So that brings with it a great need for emotional intelligence, people right. skills, et cetera. Yeah. On the other side of that a coin is now leadership. There's always going to be a role for full-time employment because somebody's running the ship on these brands. Right. But HR, mm-hmm. the human resources, now Ken, uh, and this is in another interview I did with uh, Kevin Roberts, brought this up. I think this is really smart from Sachi and Sachi. He said that um, not only do um, what I speculate is not only do we, we stay with talent acquisition, but we're all also going to have to do talent management. Yeah. Then Kevin brought up that they're also going to have to do leadership development, which yes. my book talks about in the context that yes. now companies can't be bureaucratic bullies where they demand something of you as an employee. Right. Now, as a contractor, you can, to your point, yep. go work for a competitor, take right. the intellectual property, go to a new startup, the next shiny object. How do leadership, how do leadership, how does leadership yeah. be able to communicate with empathy and compassion oh and understanding? So uh, let's let's take this a little deeper, Angus, because I think this is one of my my premises. I you know I talked about the four principles, the foundational principles that I prescribe to to be a success. The fourth one is that you hire, you know, ambitious, get it done people, but then you lead them with emotionally intelligent innovation leadership skills. I would tell you. It's funny. Most CEOs, they worry about either A, having an effective strategic plan, or B, having an equally effective infrastructure. And that's traditional business. I prescribe to this a third leg, and you can't have a great business if you don't hire exceptional, talented people and lead them with exceptionally talented, emotionally intelligent leadership skills. To me, it's three legs to a stool, and you cannot have a great business without that third leg. Mm. Love it. Okay, so you're sitting down with one of these uh, big brands. Yeah. How do they build a leadership team with that understanding? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, certainly here, I'm. You know, I've I've worked for Medtronic for the last 14 years, 90,000 employees, 28 billion dollars. I prescribe to emotional intelligence, and it all starts at the top. You know, so if you want to have an emotionally intelligent leadership team, then you need to hire people that have those type of skills. Mm. And to me, this is a bigger issue in in corporate uh, America, even throughout the world, is that what I mean is that leadership is all too often focused on their own self-advancement. And this Mm. is the problem, the way business is structured right now. To me, unless you begin to believe in people and take an interest in people, they're never going to be truly vested in your company. So to me, it starts with the paradigm shift to what I call emotionally intelligent leadership. And in EI, which is very well known, people think of it as empathy, which is very true. You need to move beyond thinking about EI as just a skill and think of it as a leadership style and philosophy. 
And when you do that, then you as a leader will begin to employ from the top down the people you hire, the culture that you create. And again, I, I know we haven't talked a lot about the book, but I believe in mantras. And I have a mantra, which is culture is a byproduct of leadership. If you're a tyrant, well, then what do you think is going to happen in your business? People are going to think and view that as an acceptable behavior. But if you believe in emotional intelligence and you care about people genuinely, well, that is going to be the culture of your business. Yeah, it all echoes from the top. So um, I like to say from a mental uh, capacity or psychological capacity, like whatever's inside comes outside, right? Our mind seeks equilibrium and business follows the same metaphor is whatever is internally processed, externally is experienced. Well said. How do you convince a board, convince investors, convince, you know, the powers that be that sometimes have gotten to their roles because of politics, because of positioning, because of, you know, whatever, craftiness. And now all of a sudden say, okay, now you have position, but you have no power yeah. because you don't know how to connect with human beings. I, I think to me, you, you know, clearly, you're going to have these people that have got there by being tyrants. And I'm not convinced you're going to correct their style or change them, especially if they become wonderfully successful. However, I do think you have to look at the people that have a genuine caring, that have empathy within them. But I do think you can look at, point to a couple things. Example, let's just talk about uh, Tyco, you know, this great American company that Dennis Koslowski grew and grew it largely on acquisitions. Mm-hmm. But what happens is, is that after he got to over $40 billion, you know, he's in jail and he mm-hmm. had to, only the company had to divest to restabilize itself. I think, so there's an example of this whole GE model. And look at GE. You know, we talk about a lot of people reference the GE model, albeit wrongly. But, you know, so Jack grows it from $40 billion to $400 billion. But now, you know, under Immel, the company has no value. They've stripped mm. out all the value trying to chase shareholder price. They were focused on nothing more than stock price. And now, the, you know, that $400 billion is less than $200 billion. It's like $170 billion. Certainly mm. a big number in market cap, but you can see it's decreasing. Mm. So all the, there's plenty of examples. I mean, if you look at J&J, Johnson & Johnson, under tremendous pressure now to begin divesting. I fundamentally believe in this, and in, in what you're going to see is the companies that stay small, stick to the niche. It's what I call dance with the girl you came with, mm-hmm. the Starbucks, the Intels, the Michelin tires, the companies that are dedicated to their customers, dedicated to their products. You can continually reinvent themselves, and, and you can have fantastic employees, and you can show that you can have a great business. Mm-hmm. So I think if you want to teach leaders what we're talking about with emotional intelligence, you have to point to data. You know, Mm. CEOs, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. people understand data. You know, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has an asshole. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to point to data because data is driving factor. Um, Let's go into some case studies of people who are doing it well. Yeah. Who are the companies that are excelling at connecting with EI or EQ, depending on however however you phrase it? You know, certainly one of my idols was was Bill George. Bill George was the original founder of Medtronic and he effectively grew Medtronic from you know I mean from a, a few hundred million to over four billion dollars. And and if you look at Bill, Bill prescribed to people. He believed in emotional intelligence. Now 
it's interesting to me, after Bill, many of the CEOs that are running Medtronic now, frankly, they don't prescribe to that same uh, EI. And even though Medtronic is getting bigger, again, I've been there 14 years, one would argue I'm not sure the culture um, is, um, is there. And what I'm beginning to see now is a lot of people are taking either early retirement or evacuating the business, you know, and, and go chasing their own dreams or going to other companies that they feel um, there's greater loyalty mm. to employees. When you feel like you're a number, you're no longer vested. Mm-hmm. And if you really want people to be vested in your business, how you do that is you involve them as part of the strategic planning. Mm-hmm. There's no greater way to invest this person if they feel like you look at them, you ask them their opinion, as well as you employ potentially some of their thoughts towards the strategy. And who would work harder for you than someone that is that wants to be fully vested in an, in an idea or an opportunity that they've presented. That's how you, you know, invest in people and in, in part of the culture of running a company from the top down, as well as if you look at the iceberg effect. The average company has this, there's a, a 96% gap between the CEO and line workers. Mm. That is horrific. And one can't tell me, albeit the, the CEO does not have to have all that knowledge down at the line level, but boy, if you have that much of a knowledge gap, I can tell you there's a cultural shift that you're not picking up in your business. Mm. Say that again. So there's a 96% gap between leadership and line worker. What yes. was that next part? I have to believe if there's that much of a gap that even though you don't know that the technical gory details down at the line, culturally, I can assure you you're missing something. Mm. Ouch. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> so you were saying before about companies staying focused on their customer base, that they stay small. Small is the new big, right? Yes. We'll, we'll give yes. it that line. So right now we're watching uh, Google change their title to Alphabet and then yeah. dispersing the different responsibilities to multiple companies. Yeah, We're watching uh, eBay and PayPal go separate ways to divide up into two companies. We're watching yes. Xerox yes. split from two different re- into two different responsibilities. So I think some companies are learning or are now like taking the audacious <laughs> responsibility to um, move into action and not just knowledge. And so I, th- I think you're on to something there for sure. Obviously, the data of, of, of those case studies is showing. So um, other case studies of people who are doing it well, I thought of while you were saying, uh, off the top of my head, might be Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Their yeah, leadership Chick- seems amazing. You, you know, Angus, I'll go, I'm going to look a little more inward. You know, so I have 30 years. I've been wonderfully successful, worked for some fantastic companies. But, you know, the irony is that every company I've worked for has been a spin-out of a technology that the mother company chose to ignore Mm. because it wasn't important, it wasn't strategic. So I very much prescribe to if a business is growing beyond $500 million, you need to think about at least carving out that business to be independent because when you do that, the company's small enough. If you're going to have you know, anywhere from a few hundred to, a, you know, a few thousand people, it's small enough that people feel uh, not entitled. 
They don't mm-hmm. feel like they're a number. They feel like they're vested. They feel like they can make a difference. And, and, it, and whereas when you're big and huge and a number, well, then you just feel like you're a citizen as part of the government. You, don't, you can't make a difference in life. So to me, this going back to being autonomous is essential for growth. And that's why you see, when it, what's the first thing when a CE comes into a big company that's broken? What do they do? They, in order to change the structure, they start getting rid of people. They divest. They restructure to people that to areas that have value, mm-hmm. and and they they centralize them and they strip them out. And it's funny if you look at some of the greatest CEOs when they talk about their 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 uh, philosophies on innovation. Many of them prescribe to key, you know stripping the innovation groups out of their big business infrastructures so that they can be autonomous. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same. This is no different than whether it's business or, or whether it's focused on innovation. But that's what you're seeing is that these a lot of these small startups are people that got frustrated from these bigger companies and now they're running it, you know, focused on customers, focused on technologies, moving away from acquisitions, moving away from big large portfolios, moving away from these huge infrastructures mm-hmm. because none of it's personal. People need to feel like someone takes an interest in their career, and trust me, and that they'll be, they'll, you know, obviously people need a job, they need money to ultimately satisfy, put food on the table, but they won't be vested. Mm-hmm. They won't be. They won't feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So, what happens in the context of going back to that contract labor force? Yeah, if they themselves are autonomous. Yep. What are the opportunities for them to, I don't know, I, I was going to say unionize, but that's not what I want to say, work together in some collaborative effort? It, you know, that's an interesting challenge. Um, and, and I'm not sure I have the answer for you. I can tell you that, you know, again, if I go back and I look at history in my career, there was a great deal of interest in, 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 in America to move product overseas. Well, what happened? So they started moving product overseas, but once again, they weren't vested. So they went to, you know, uh, they went to different companies, you know, like Medtronic went into um, Ireland. A lot of people went into China. Mm -hmm. But what happens now is that as those economies begin to prosper, the cost of living goes up. And then what happens is that low-cost labor that you were once interested in, now you go to a more impoverished country because you need to get to the lower label. So these virtual companies, by their nature, they're easy to start up. But again, they don't have the capital and the infrastructure, which is going to be problematic. I mean their call to uh, attractiveness is people at a low cost. Mm. Well, when your economy improves – your your calling, your, your value, your service is now going to be compromised. So I I would be troubled if I were one of these virtual companies. So I'm not, albeit I think they're going to exist and they're going to prosper, I think you're going to see them move to move to move. So as an investor, I would be very cautious about how much money I was investing mm. in a company that didn't have that capital. You know, again, it goes back to the dot-coms, things – tend to repeat themselves in history. To me, that's what this feels like. Yeah, and, you know, interesting enough, kind of to your point, you know, the whole reason why a lot of these things, I think, exploded was because of the reset in 2008. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, people are are out of work, 
So now they're thinking more creatively. They're thinking more out of the box. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's what is the whole thing about innovation is a product of uh, necessity. Exactly. So now you've got people renting out, you know, an air mattress, uh, a couch or whatever. And now so that becomes Airbnb or people start using their ho- their car to deliver groceries and deliver product and whatever. Right. Like I see that as even more fuel when this thing resets itself in the next right. 12 months or so. It, yeah. I mean, it looks like this thing's going to reset in the next six to 12 months, if not faster. So if that happens, then we're going to see an even higher workforce of independent, autonomous, whatever. Yes. And I'm looking at, um, I know it was peers.org um, started off as being kind of a collective, but now I think they've pivoted more towards uh, benefits for freelancers right. um, and then helping them find work as well. And then the other one that comes to the top of my head is uh, Freelancers Union. Right. Um, is now helping for the same thing. Not only they, and this goes back to what I was saying, that collective. I think these are the guys that are probably on point for some of these conversations. Um, all right. It's, it's really interesting when you, you, know, you talk about you know, the differences that social media has happened in these large institutions. I mean, we didn't talk about Amazon. Oh, come so, on. I mean, here's a company that has effectively, again, no assets. They make no product. But what they did is they said, my God, we're going to be the distributor to the world, you know, and we're just going to distribute everyone else's products. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a fascinating time. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm, you know, if you're looking at, for, for me, a guy that just recently retired, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm going to put my money is I'm still going to invest in uh, these aristocrats, these blue chip companies, you know, whether that be Johnson & Johnson or you know, Procter and Gamble or General Electric or Medtronic or mm. these these institutions that they have hard walls, mm. they have people, they have products. Um, I know that their value is going to be maintained. Like you said, if you can if you can create an Uber, if you can create an Amazon, well, there can also be a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's go back to one more thing uh, before we transition to the next part of our conversation, and that is we we still haven't come with some great case studies of leadership that leads well in emotional intelligence. Yeah, again, I, I mentioned that originally. Uh, Bill George, you know, was the guy that um, you know, I certainly have the greatest respect for as a leader. Like I said, how, you know, he grew Medtronic from a hunt, you know, a few million dollars to $4 billion. Mm-hmm. And he prescribed to, you know, emotionally intelligent leaders. He prescribed to people. You know, I, I think for me, I look at people like Daniel Goleman who wrote the book, you know, Primal Leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, Daniel was an, an idol of mine and someone that I prescribed to. So to me, I think there's ample examples of people and, and I'm, I'm not sure they would call it themselves emotionally intelligent mm. but I think it's just their style it's the people that that care about people in general and you can see it with uh, in, in many of their businesses I'm trying to think I've got a book I'm looking behind me um, uh, conscious capitalism was the book and um, it was the head of Whole Foods oh yes um, I forget the gentleman's name um, but I think he might be in that conversation. That would be another company that I might share as somebody to watch and see how he leads. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. I, I want to come back to that because I'm building case studies for my book. So that's why I'm, I'm probing, I'm probing you taking advantage yeah. of your expertise. Yeah. I mean, I would probably reference, you know, I'd go back to good to great. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd go back to Jim Collins', Jim Collins. Yep. Uh, fantastic book. And what he did is he looked at, you know, over 500, you know, NYSE companies. Um, I, I think there's probably plenty of examples. I don't remember everyone's name and all the businesses in there. But, you know, if you look at companies like Southwest or Hewlett Packard, mm. you know, when, when they were on a tear and they were growing and establishing themselves, they made a paradigm shift. And they mm-hmm. didn't do this during the social media, but they did it with capital and mortar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think there's, you know, I mean, I mean, Apple is arguably, you know, one of the greatest, although you couldn't see, say that Steve Jobs, of course, he had maybe arguably zero emotional <laughs> right, intelligence. Right. I mean, a, a fantastic visionary, but <laughs> yeah, he's probably the antithesis of what EI is not. Yeah. And, and I think many people would, would tell you that, you know, they wanted to be as far away from him as humanly possible, too. Yeah. Um, you know, on the startup side, the one name that just jumped out to me was uh, Douglas Atkins, who uh, was uh, kind of a key proponent for the movement of Airbnb and, mm. and building community and how they've been able to go into a city and rally up support, rally up a movement in each yeah. one they've gone. And it's almost like a, a mindset of, of activism, really. Um, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. OK, so I want to transition to a new direction here for mm. you personally. Um, and the name of our show is Up in Your Business. Yeah. For you, Dana, like going into your career, now you're in the, the you know, the twilight. And now you, can, <laughs> you can look back and some of it you can look at longingly and affectionately and, and with great yeah. gratitude. And other areas, um, maybe you, you probably think, well, gosh, I could have done this different. If yeah. you were to back up um, to, you know, a time when you were, you know, 20 years old, yeah. like what are some of the things you would have told yourself in preparation for your journey. Yeah. Again, you know, I, we talked briefly about the importance of emotional intelligence. To me, it, it took me a while in my career to find that. Um, you know, I, I believe that, in, you know, EI was not understood. It wasn't until I read Primal Leadership. To me, that would be the key because after I did begin to tune into EI, I became a very different manager. I'd be, and I hired differently. My philosophies changed, and it helped me, in my opinion, be wonderfully successful. So to me, you know, I, I preach, I write about it, I prescribe to it. Now, that would be, if I could go back in time, it would be when I was starting in my early 20s, that's where I would be. Ironically, what's interesting to me is that I was identified always early as a person that would be good in leadership. And when I look back on it, it was because I've always been good with people. You know, I didn't, I couldn't figure that out. You know, at at the time, you know, IQ was always considered to be important and, and strategic planning and, and, and infrastructure. And certainly I was always a hard worker. But when I look back now, it all ties together. I was mm. good with people. I knew how to hire people. I knew how to, you know, to get the, to get the most out of people. And people saw that. Mm. And so now we have a word for it. And albeit it's certainly not embraced mm-hmm. you know again people think of ei as a skill they don't think of it as a leadership philosophy mm. or they think it's just soft soft skill woo woo right you know it doesn't they don't recognize the business uh benefit yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i mean so you know angus i would tell you you know for me i have four foundational principles and and let me just walk through these quickly if i may absolutely you know, thank you you know, the first one is, again, I, I believe foundationally that you need to take 10% of your company's total revenues and invest it back into organic research and development. Two, I believe that you develop your product 
through your customer's eyes. Mm-hmm. Three, I believe you, you focus on the strategically few core platforms that can move your annual operating plan needle. And then four, I believe that you hire ambitious, get-it-done people and lead them with emotional intelligence. So those four foundational principles have had, made me become wonderfully successful. Uh, I think they're, they're strong. I write about these things in the book. Um, and I think that any leader or any business could take any one of these things and, you know, run with it. And um, for you personally, what were like some limiting beliefs that as you kind of raised in leadership at each echelon, yeah, yeah. like gave you permission to be <laughs> in the bigger box? Yeah, I, I think, you know, for, for me, it's all about, you know, don't ask um, don't ask for responsibility. Just take it. And what will happen mm. is when you go far enough, if you go too far, your boss will let you know. But what's interesting is if, if you want to extend in your career, you know, I have a mantra that is you hire people you like. And so part of that means that you can't be a rebel. And two, you have to be able to protect your boss. So that means you need to understand your business. You can't be chasing his job. But if you learn to make the business a better place, understand your responsibility of business, make him look good, he will ascend or she will ascend and they and you will ascend with them. Mm. So great insight. Great insight. This has been awesome. Dana, is there any final words you would share um with our listening audience here that you want them to chew on? Yeah. I mean, so to me, Angus, it all begins with customers. It begins and ends with customers. And, you know, we didn't talk a great deal about my book, but I'll reflect back just so that everything you and I Give us the pitch. Go for it. Yes. Everything you and I have talked about today is is everything I wrote about. So in in mantra mantra design, innovate, buy, or die. And and you can find that on my website, which is www.mantra.com. M-A-N-T-R-A, leadership.com, one word. I prescribe and I share with how to identify your customers' unmet needs and transform them into patent-protected premium-priced products. So all these philosophies we've talked about, they're in the book. They're, mm. you, know, you can visit the webpage, and, um, and if you like what you hear, then there's plenty of uh, tangible examples that I read and write about. Oh, that's excellent. So again, go check out his book, Mantra Design, uh, on his website and uh, go learn more about insights into innovation and more importantly, taking care of your customers well. Dana Oliver, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Angus, thank you very much for having me as a guest on Up In Your Business. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, sir. And you know, I hope that maybe we can link up again. Absolutely. A big thank you to Dana and his generosity to join us today. Uh, As we spoke, his latest book, Mantra Design, uh, is a must-read for every new product development professional aspiring to introduce premium price, patented, protected, market share leading products. That's a mouthful, but it is a really good read. Lots of good content in there. Um, And one of the topics that we spoke about just on this show today Um, is also in there, and that is that element of emotional intelligence. And obviously that echoed over and over again. Now, this kind of goes and is kind of related to the conversation we had in episode 047 with Gary Vaynerchuk, where we talked about self-awareness. 
The two are pretty similar, um, but with emotional intelligence, it is this essence um, that for some seems to be intangible. But I believe there's some ways that you can develop elements of emotional intelligence. And one of the things that I always encourage people to do is to explore yourself. Going into a profile like uh, Myers-Briggs, um, that is uh, a tool that you can use to learn more about your preferences and your personality. In addition, the DISC profile, highly recommend that for not only individuals, but also for teams. They have a, a way of developing your teams um, using their tools. And in addition, uh, Strengths Finder is another one. And there's others, as Colby A Index and on and on. Um, all of those help you a, learn about yourself, but if you're open, you'll recognize that you also learn about other people. It's one thing for you to know who you are and then just kind of set your roots and say, well, I'm an EFP, that's just who I am, and I'm just going to be this way. But the truth is that character will always override preference. And what I mean by that is, even though you might have some elements of your personality that are very natural and ingrained in uh, you and how you interact with the world around you, you can rise above that when you start to recognize that you are operating in that strength. And that's character. Character says, I can put this aside and I can be what I need to be in this situation. So for instance, me, I'm a high extrovert. I can get around people and I can be super animated, super gregarious. I'm sure this is very hard for you to believe. Um, but yeah, really, really strong in people skills and, and personality. But what I've realized is that I can identify somebody who might shrink back a little bit or might be a little uh, passive, and I can dial back that extroversion in a way that makes them feel safe. Because otherwise, I'll just blast them out of the water, and they won't share, or they won't speak. Uh, they won't share their thoughts if I'm dominating um, the conversation or the interaction. And so sometimes I have to dial back my extroversion in order to honor the person that I'm speaking with. And that's a degree of self-awareness or emotional intelligence. In addition, getting to know people and interact with them in ways that you can perceive how they're feeling you can see their nonverbals. You become very acutely aware of how you can, in that moment, change the dynamics or the um, uh, focus of your conversation to then re-engage that person and then pull out of them their ideas, their um, ways of, of perceiving a particular problem or solution. And that's why I think emotional intelligence is so dynamic in, in leadership for um, what's to come, uh, both in our culture and in business, is going to be such a critical component. So go and take one of those tasks, Myers-Briggs, Disc Profile, Strengths Finder, etc. Go and tell me about it because I would love to hear of your experience. And if you have any questions or thoughts about those tools or today's show, please reach out and talk to me. I'm on Twitter at 
at Angus Nelson. You can email me, Angus at AngusNelson.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're looking for any of the links and show notes uh, for this episode, you want to get into our private face group or uh, the I know that you referred to a book uh, in our conversation as well, Primal Leadership, that link will be available at AngusNelson.com forward slash zero five seven. All those things will be made available to you there. Other than that, I am your host, Angus Nelson. Go ahead and tell your friends about this show because the greatest compliment you can give, to me especially, is to refer someone else. Tell your friends either in person or share it on the web. In fact, if you just go online and share this show, that would be greatly appreciated. And keep taking your business up by getting up in your business. Live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com. <laughs>